0: Jesus quoted back from Genesis in talking about love relationships when he said in Mark chapter 10. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. What's he talking about? This is why he made a male and female. And this is why the two will leave. Think about what they're leaving. They are leaving the people who have loved them more than anybody else on the planet. They are leaving the people who will love them no matter how stupid they are. Isn't that a wonderful thing about a parenting relationship? As moms and dads, our kids can be total idiots and we still love them. That's such a secure thing, isn't it? I mean, they may beat the tar out of us, but they still love us. They, they may, you know, pour on guilt and shame like crazy, but they still love us and yet there's something there's some attractional force that would cause us to leave living well for some of us to leave living with that mom and dad so some in this generation have decided that's way too good to leave so they go back to it but but for you know most of us who are healthy grown-ups to leave that and pursue a new relationship why would they do that Jesus said because God made them male And female. Well, we don't have time to fully unpack all that's in that, but I would just point this out to you. While God made us alike in some respects, the thing that makes us so attractive to each other, it's all the differences, isn't it? When a man looks at a woman, I mean, it's like, you know, Adam. The first time, he he was the only human. He was man, and he looked at the first woman and said, whoa, man, you know. (laughs) Thus, we have the first woman. We, we, we've been saying, whoa, man, ever since then, haven't we? Because she is not like us. And we like the differences. We like what we see. We, we like that, that her personality is different from ours and vice versa. We are so different that it attracts us to each other. And yet when we get together, it also at times just drives us slap crazy, doesn't it? It's so attractional that it would cause us to leave the most stable loving relationship that we could ever imagine that we're born into it's so good it it actually eclipses the love that you have from your mom and your dad and yet you get into it and you realize woo, this person that was so attractive to me and part of what was so attractive was how they're different from me but now that i'm with them and we're trying to do life together some of the things that made you attractive that are so different about you are about to drive me bonkers that's reality that, that's the true side of a relationship between a man and a woman who love each other. You don't see life the same because God made them male and female. And I want to tell you, he made a lot more than just the plumbing different. There's a lot more that's unique between a man and a woman. And learning how to get on the same page with somebody who is so different from you is a big challenge. And so I just want to share with you four thoughts, four truths about getting on the same page with a person that you love. Now, the first one is going to be more general, and we'll talk about some specific areas that it does apply to. And then I'm going to give you just three very straightforward action steps to take. But the first thing in getting on the same page is seek to understand and appreciate your mate's uniqueness. In 1 Peter 3.7, Peter gives us one of the most difficult challenges in all of the New Testament when he says, In the same way you husbands should live with your wives in an understanding way. Guys, that ain't easy. Understanding your wife. That is a huge challenge. But I've got great news for you. Someone has come out with a book that will help us to understand a woman. That will actually explain how a woman thinks. In fact, we have a copy of it you know, on the screen there. Actually, you couldn't contain it in that. It would take a bigger book than that. Ladies... I'm not picking on you. You're going to see later in Colossians, Paul gives you the same kind of instruction. Wives, understand and support your husbands. Understanding each other is such a difficult challenge because we are so very, very different. I mean, as a for instance, I'm going to share a couple of things that it's like sharing trade secrets. You know, like men aren't supposed to tell women because... You're not supposed to know this. I'm just going to share some of those things today. But here's one of those things about understanding each other. Ladies, you know how you never turn it off? I mean, it's like it's going 90 miles an hour in your... The, the hamster's on the wheel even in your sleep. Your brain's just going 90 to nothing. And you know how so many times you'll look at your man. And maybe he has a far off look in his eyes. And you're wondering, I'd just love to know what he's thinking. I want to just tell you a big secret. He ain't thinking nothing. <laughs> you're not supposed to know this, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Most of the time, we're not thinking about anything. And you're, you're thinking, well, you're just you don't want to tell me what you're thinking. No, we're just not thinking. We just like to walk around and look at stuff. That's just, that's one of the differences between us and you. You're thinking all the time and sometimes, a lot of times, we're just not. We're just looking at stuff. And just kind of chilling out. So just understand, and kind of back off sometimes. Just let us just be there. Deuteronomy 24:5, It's one of my favorite passages in Old the Old Testament. And this points to the, the gravity and, and the difficulty of what we're looking at today, where in the law, it says this: "When a man takes a new wife, he's not to go out with the army." or be given any business or work duties, he gets one year off simply to be at home, making his wife happy. And every man and woman wants to go, Yeah! I missed that year. I'm ready to take that leave time. Why in the world would God command that everybody that ever gets married should take off at least the first year? No work, no war. You just totally devote yourself to your mate. You know why God would command that? Because he knows what a huge hill we have to climb. Just to get on the same page, to get to know each other. Man, that first year, it's just amazing when you begin to live with someone to realize how different they are. Wonderfully different. But it's just a reminder, hey, early on, it's a full-time job. God said in an ideal world it's such a full time job you wouldn't even have time to go to work just to do well this thing of learning your mate and getting on the same page with him I share that passage just to say we're going to have to really work at this if you think that just instinctively you're going to get it you're just going to know you're going to be in tune because in all the romantic movies that's how it works you're in for a rude awakening because it doesn't just happen so first of all in seeking to understand and appreciate your mate's uniqueness, I'm just going to point out two or three areas where you, you really are going to want to remind yourself again and again of the differences. And the first one is, is about communication. I'm sure you've probably heard this before, but women, on average... Now, I, I'm going to paint with a broad brush today. I, I get this. There are exceptions to what I'm going to say in this section, and there are exceptions in the room. There are exceptions in my marriage. But by and large, the things that I'm about to say apply to most couples. And in general, women tend to use twice as many words as men, and they tend to speak a different language. You've probably all heard the, the research that men on average speak about 12,000 words a day. Women on average speak somewhere from twenty-two to 25,000 words a day. Just about double. And that has a bunch of different implications. Uh, you know, for one, after a day's work, in the average household, a man comes home, and he is at, you know, about... You know, 11,900 words used up. He, he's you know, got enough left to say, I'm hungry, let's get it on or something. You know, he's got a few words saved for, for later that night, but he doesn't have many that he wants to use, right? But the woman's got a bunch left. And the woman's heart wants to connect, she wants to dialogue, she wants to hear his heart. Just taking these things into account, guys, if you understand this, that a woman is wired this way, it means you're going to need to learn to be a good listener. And it means that you're going to have to go beyond your comfort zone and use more words than what naturally are just there for you. That you're going to have to stretch yourself. And ladies, sometimes it means you're just going to have to give your man some space to not just talk for hours on end. Just let him look at some stuff and not think about anything. But the other half of that is not only do we, do we speak a different number of words than today, but we speak different languages. We speak very different languages. Men, we speak manese, and women speak womanese. And these, we may be speaking English, but they're two very different versions of that. And, you know, one of the things that uh, points out how different these languages are, uh, and, and just one way of, of describing that, is that men will speak kind of a language of the head, and women a language of the heart. Uh, for guys, you know, we're all about facts and bottom lines and, and you know what do we need to do we're action oriented in our thinking and in our speaking and women are very much more relational wanting heart connections And there was some research done a few years ago that to me just it speaks volumes to what we're talking about here a study was done of four year olds they were watched they were recorded and videoed and there was an analysis done of everything that came out of each child's mouth and they were divided by boys and girls and this is still just staggering me to realize. Of all the girls that were followed and recorded, every single sound that came out of these four year old girls' mouths, they were either words or they were attempts at words. 100%. Of the four year old boys that were recorded, 40% of what came out of their mouths was sound effects. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, sound effects. And for girls, 100% was words and attempts at words. Now think about some of the things that that suggests. I mean, you haven't trained them as as four-year-olds to be that way. That's the stuff mostly that God wired into them, into us. Think about it. For girls, what are words doing? Words are relational. Words are, are about, I want to communicate with you. I want to connect with you. I want to share with you. And sound effects... They're about doing stuff. They are about things. They're about flying airplanes and driving trucks and blowing things up. They're about doing stuff. It is a reflection of the shape of a man's heart and mind. It's already there when we're four years old. Women, it's words, 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 wanting to connect. It's all relational. And for guys, it's about doing stuff. We are wired this differently. So, you know, ladies, understand... That a lot of what a man's thinking in a conversation when you're using a lot of words to explain what's worrying you and what's on your mind, I I can tell you part of what the man's thinking. What do you want me to do? Cut to the chase, get to the bottom line. What do you want me to do? How are we going to fix this? I want to give you the answer to how you're going to fix this. And guys, it's so important for us to understand. First of all, she doesn't want to be fixed. She usually doesn't want our solution because they know that it's not going to fix it anyway most of the time. What do they want? You know the answer to this. They want to be heard. They want to be understood. They just want to know that you get it. Now, I confess that two days after I finished this outline, my wife had to remind me of this exact thing. A a situation arose that was stressing her and that she was really wrestling with and I mean, it was just heavy on her heart. And so being an understanding man, I just laid it on her. This is what you need to do. This is exactly what you need to change. And this will fix the situation. I'd have been better off to slap myself in the head with a two by four. (laughs) Because that's how much good it did her to say, here's what you need to do differently to fix that. And she was kind enough to look me in the eye and say, I didn't need you to fix it. I already knew that. I just needed you to listen and understand. These are her words. I needed you to be a safe place that I could talk about that. That's what you needed. I just wrote a sermon about that. That makes it all better. Yeah, this is hard stuff. It's easy to talk about and laugh about. It's so much harder to do it. Women don't need fixing. They need understanding. Another thing that you need to take into account is that women constantly think on multiple levels while men tend to focus on one thing at a time. I've shared this analogy many times with many couples and even in teaching because I've never found anything that explains it better. But this is one of the things that is fundamentally so different about us. How many of you have ever been inside any type of warship? Let me see your hands. You ever been in the USS Alabama or any, any warship or submarine? You know what that's like. It's broken up into all these separate compartments with thick steel walls. And every time you walk through a bulkhead, everything you go through a hatch, you know, there's going to be a, a, one of those big doors that you can clang shut and, and dog it down so that it seals that compartment off. That is a picture of a man's mind. Ladies, once again, just want you to understand us. That is how our minds work. We are in one compartment at a time. And when we step through from one compartment to the next, ding, we close the door and we dog it down. And now we are completely in another compartment. This is wonderful and scary all at the same time. If you can understand and appreciate this, it's a good thing but you'll understand some weaknesses that come with it. It gives us the ability to focus like a laser beam because whatever compartment we are in, we are fully in. When we go to work, we are fully at work. We can give it 100% of our attention and energy and it makes us good at accomplishing tasks. It can make us good at loving you. When we are in the you compartment, when we are in the romance compartment, but here's the thing that it doesn't allow for very much is for us to think about multiple things at one time. When the man goes to work, he walks out the door... And he closes, he figuratively, in his mind, he closes the door behind him. And he has locked that thing down. He is now thinking about, well, I'll tell you what he's thinking about first. He's thinking about the fastest way to get to work. Because you see, that's a task. That's a task to think about. And I think I can beat the old record by 18 seconds if I go, you know, the causeway instead of the bayway. You know, we have a task. And then when we close the door on that, now we have a task at the job. And we enter into that compartment. And that's all that we're thinking about. And 8 or 10 hours later, when we get home and our wife greets us. And she's smiling and she says, have you been thinking about me today? And the husband, if he's honest, is going, uh, I'm sure I did. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I thought about you when I was having lunch or something. And your, your heart is broken because it's like, Well, I've been thinking about you all day long. That's right. Because your mind works at multiple levels all the time and his does not. He's in one compartment at a time. And if you want to know the hard, cold truth... There's a lot of the day he wasn't thinking about you because when he's in a compartment... He's fully there. He's fully engaged. And when he's done with that, the good news is he has the ability, if he'll exercise it, to step out of that compartment and say, work is done, clank, that door is shut. And men, if you will use this ability well, you now can focus like a laser beam on your wife, on your kids, on your girlfriend. You have the ability to do these things well, one at a time. You just better be careful to be balanced and to leave work at work. Women, on the other hand, Or, like a specific part of a combat ship. If you've ever been in the, or seen video of the Combat Information Center, the CIC of any warship, this is the room where everything is monitored. There are screens to show the readiness levels of of all of the weapon systems of the entire ship. There are screens that are going to show you all surface contacts on the surface of the water around them. There's going to be a screen that's showing every contact in the air, radar that's constantly whirling. There's a screen that's going to show you all sonar contacts beneath the surface. All of these different things going on in the CIC, that's a lot of activity. You'd have to be ADD to monitor all of that at the same time. That is the brain of a woman. I'm not calling you ADD, ladies. I'm just saying that's a picture of how your mind operates at multiple levels at one time. This is why women, as crazy as this may sound, though they are wonderfully relationally oriented, have a hard time ever just chilling out. That's why when they look at us and go, what are you thinking about? And we go, oh, I wasn't really thinking about anything. But they're like, that can't be true. Because she's thinking about ten things at one time right now. She's thinking about what am I going to do for dinner tonight? Oh, there's that baby shower I've got to buy gifts for, and one of the kids is at practice, and we've got to pick them up. And, you know, I've, we've got to do something about you know our little boy's teeth, and we, you know, all of, all these different things. They're all spinning at the same time. All these different radars and sonars, and they're alert to all this. This is why at night, guys, when our kids are toddlers, we can sleep through the night, and mom is immediately awake whenever there's that first little wheeze. It's like, how in the world did you do that? Have you got, like, Superman hearing or something? No, you just got a radar that we don't have. You're constantly alert to stuff. You know some of how this works itself out? It's hard for a woman when you're trying to have romantic time, when you're trying to go out on a date or just have time, just the two of you. It's hard for her to dial it all in and only think just about you. It's part of why sexual intimacy can be a more difficult challenge for a woman. Because her radars are still spinning. Guys have gone from the get the kids tucked into bed, get kids baths, the you know TV entertainment, whatever. We've stepped out of that compartment into the woo-hoo, red hot compartment here. This is the love compartment. Honey, I'm tired, but I left enough gas in the tank for one last thing tonight. That's what he's thinking. And it's, you know, he's focused like a laser beam. He's fully in the love compartment. But she's still thinking, you know, her her mind's still turning. She's thinking about there was something that wasn't right with one of the kids. And, and you know, I, that's just that's on my mind. And she's thinking about stuff that's got to happen tomorrow. And you're like, baby, I ain't thinking about nothing but you. And it takes her some time to get focused in on experiencing intimacy together. It's not because she's broken. It's not because she loves you less. It's because her mind is working at so many different levels. Do you see why, why God would make people so different, and yet how they would fit together so well, and why he would assign different roles to the man and to the woman in the family. The woman is so relationally oriented, and she is so well designed to make sure that everything that's going on within the family is monitored and addressed. Thank God for you women. Thank God for making you that way, because, I mean, there's so much stuff it's not that we don't care. Okay, well, occasionally we don't care. But most of the time we care. It's not that we don't care about the kids and what all is going on with them. We just didn't realize it a lot of times. I know that sounds like a cop-out. It is the honest truth. Wives, understand. A lot of times we, we just would not have had a clue if you hadn't told us. It's not that we didn't care. We just aren't dialed in to some of the things that you are. But I'll tell you what, wives. Don't think that that makes your husband second-rate. Because God has given us an ability to focus in and get things done. And sometimes those things can be relationships. Things that need to be addressed in relationships and in parenting. But it's why within that relationship, the wife does such a wonderful job of... Making sure that relationally everything's being addressed and why the husband needs to be so sensitive to listening to the wife. That's why I was saying last week, built into the heart and mind of every woman is a marriage manual that men didn't get. You want to know what your marriage needs? Ask your wife. Seriously. You feel like things are a little bit off? You feel like you're not on the same page? Just have the courage to get in a quiet moment with your wife and say, What do you think that our marriage needs the most right now? Embrace yourself because she's got a good idea what the answer is because she is she's been paying attention to some stuff while we were in other compartments. But ladies understand too. Men lead well. Guys, as much as I love everybody, loves Raymond on TV. Don't you dare be a Raymond. Don't you dare be a wimp, a milk toast who who's like oh I don't know whatever you think. God didn't design you to be that. God designed you to love and to lead, not to dominate. Not to force her to follow you. He gave you a capacity to lead well. To stay focused on the main things. So lead well. Those things fit together very, very well. Beyond that, we'll just say this. Women are are more concerned about people than projects, obviously. Guys, we tend to gravitate toward projects. And men, another of those little secrets. Men usually feel their worth through accomplishments, while women feel more of their worth from relationships, I, I've been visiting my way through all the different small groups of the church. and Wednesday night, uh, somebody in small group uh, said it out loud. She said, I, I know we're not supposed to say this about the men, but you know, it's supposed to be like the, uh, the secret unspoken thing. But, you know, ladies, men need their strokes. They need to be, you know, patted on the back and told, you did good, honey, I'm proud of you. And she's right. We do. We, we very much need our strokes because our thinking is tied to accomplishments. We need to be told that you're proud of us and that we're doing a good job. We, we need that affirmation. Women aren't wired toward what they have accomplished. They're wired toward their relationships. They're, they're affirmed by the health of their relationships. And the final verse I'll share in regard to this is Colossians three eighteen and 19. Great passage. Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the Master. And husbands... Go all out in your love for your wives. Don't take advantage of them. Go all out. You're going to be compartmentalized in your thinking, but even in that, go all out. Hey, if you're... Men are accused of having one-track minds, and of course we know that normally when people say that, they're saying all you think about is sex, and that's actually not true. But we do have one-track minds. We tend to think about one thing at a time. We work our way back to sex very frequently, but but we think about one thing at a time. Guys, if you have to put it in your phone as a reminder at different times in the day to pray for your wife or your girlfriend, to text her, to check on her, you do whatever it takes to interrupt that one-track mind. Go all out. Do whatever it takes to, to stay on track loving her well. All right, that was the kind of general stuff. Now, three specific things that I want to share with you, and we'll be done. The the second piece is this, constantly pursue a Christ-centered relationship. We're talking about getting on the same page with someone who is not like us in many respects. Paul says of the relationship between a man and a woman in Ephesians 5, "...husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. He did this to make the church holy by cleansing it, washing it, using water along with spoken words." Then he could present it to himself as a glorious church without any kind of stain or wrinkle, holy and without faults. So husbands should love their wives. There's nothing that's going to do more to move you in the same direction and get you on the same page than for the two of you to cooperate with Jesus in this love relationship that he's pursuing with us. I know it seems kind of weird, especially in the the minds of men, to realize that Jesus is a lover, that Jesus is a pursuer, that he is romancing us, that, that he is making of us his bride, that he loves us deeply and is constantly pursuing us, and that, that this becomes for us a model of the relationship between a man and a woman. And the old analogy that somebody taught me when I was a single man in college has just always stuck with me as such a perfect picture. When you think about our lives and, and our roles to think in terms of an old wagon wheel. When you think about all of the things that that we are as men, you know, I am a son, I am a pastor, I am a dad, I'm a brother, I'm a husband, I'm a friend, I'm, I'm all of these different things. They're like spokes of a wheel. And now I have come into my life Jackie who is all of these other things. You know, she is a mom. She is a daughter, she is a nurse. She is all of these different things, they're like spokes of a wheel, but God brings us in and makes us a part of the same wagon wheel. What's at the center of this thing? Because we're, we're these things that are so different, but if the hub of that wheel can be Christ, then for each of us, if we will press into a closer relationship with Christ, what's happening to us in that process? Well, we're getting closer and closer to each other the closer we come to Jesus. It's such a simple concept But it's so true. There's nothing else that will work as effectively as having Jesus as the hub of your wheel to which you both press in. That will consistently draw two very different people who live in very different roles in life closer and closer to each other. So I'm just going to mention some ways for you to do that. There is no, by the way, way, there is no cookie cutter recipe for how you have a Christ centered relationship. I'm going to make some suggestions, most of which will apply. But you've got to find what works for you. The first one, first couple are really obvious. The first one is pray together and separately each day. And by the way, praying for each other is a really powerful thing to do. For a bunch of people, this is going to be outside of of what's normal for you. And I'm not saying this to try and beat you up and say, oh, you're not not a good Christian husband or a good Christian wife. Listen, if you don't pray together right now, I encourage you, just begin to experiment with this. And kind of just go ahead and take some of the shine off of this on the front end? There are going to be times when this feels so cozy and wonderful and deeply spiritual, and you just walk away going, man, I'm so glad that we did this. And there are going to be times when you just feel like, man, that was work. I don't feel any closer to Jesus or my mate for having done that. I'm not even sure he wanted to be here while we were doing that. I'm not sure she was with me at all while I was doing that. Do it anyway. Hang in there. In many respects, it's no different than your quiet time. Anybody ever had a quiet time that didn't just blow your socks off? I had some this week. Some were good. Some were just, I did it because it's what I needed to do. Hey, I don't get excited about taking a shower, but it's a good thing I do it every day. (laughs) Brushing my teeth doesn't thrill my soul, but you can appreciate the fact that I did this morning. You know, there are some things you do because you need it, and sometimes you feel incredibly refreshed because of it, and other times you just did it because you needed to do it. Spending time talking with the Lord and listening for His voice in your life, privately and personally, and that being coupled with sharing a few minutes with your mate while you do that is a critical piece. Beyond that, both being students of the Word, it's virtually impossible to have a Christ-centered relationship or a Christ-centered life if the Word of God isn't a significant part of that. Now part of what Jackie and I share together is um, you know not as a replacement for our quiet times but in our time together we listen to to the scriptures we 'd love to do as i 've told you before we we'll, we listen to the nIv version on uh, online you know you can just it doesn 't cost anything to do you version online and so we do you know i 've distributed a New Testament reading that you 'll read through the entire New Testament in a year if you 'll do a chapter a day five days a week so we do the, the New Testament reading, so those of you who are tracking with us in that, we're on Romans 8 tonight. And we listen to that together, and we listen to a chapter of the Old Testament together, and then we pray together. Having some time in the Word, we do that together, whether you do that together or not, but having some time in the Word on your own. You know, how do you have a Christ-centered relationship if you're not encountering the real Christ that we find in Scripture? The truth of the matter is, if you don't stay closely tied to Scripture, you'll make Jesus into what you need Him to be. You'll make Jesus into a middle-class American with middle-class American values if you don't stay tied to the Scriptures. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't stay closely tied to the Scriptures, you will start assuming that the way that you think is what Jesus thinks. That how Jesus feels about the issues of life is how you feel. I mean, because I'm, I'm a good person. And because I go to church or whatever. No. The Jesus that I find in Scripture, and I've been in the Scriptures my entire life, He still surprises me. He still bothers me. He still stirs up passion in me. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Do you not still just get startled by what Jesus says in stories that you've read a hundred times, and it's like, I still can't believe He said that? That's not what I would have said. That's the point. That's why I need the Scriptures. Because that's not what I would have done. That's not what I would have thought. That's not what I would have said. That's Jesus. He's another guy, different from me. I'm learning to be like Him, and I can't have a Christ-centered marriage if I'm not spending time in the Scriptures. Third, maintain a close connection to a strong church. This is a nice step, but this ain't it. Showing up on Sunday morning is not a close connection to the church. Truth of the matter is, showing up on Sunday morning or just watching online is a very loose connection to a local church that's only going to have kind of a marginal effect on your life. A close connection means that you get involved. A good step is to get involved in a small group. An equally good step is to get involved in serving together. Now, if with a person that you love, if you can be connected to others in a small group setting, if, if you have the privilege of doing ministry together, man, these are things that have the opportunity to bind you together even more closely Again, this isn't a recipe that you have to do all of these things. I'm not piling this on. I'm just telling you these can be elements to a Christ-centered relationship. But a connection to a church family is a big deal because these are people around you who really get to know you and are helping you to pull in the same direction. And, and then a final piece is seek to hear and follow the Holy Spirit as you make decisions. Now, this is a lot further into the process than just saying, well, let's read a little bit of Bible every day. Let's say our prayers together. This is saying we we understand that God is not a book. He's not even defined by a book. He's a real living person who interacts with us, who cares about the decisions of our lives, and who is willing to speak and lead us and interact with us in those things. So to have conversations about what do you think God would have us do about this? Well, why don't we both pray and ask God and then share what we feel like the Holy Spirit is saying to us in that? That's difficult, isn't it? I mean, in some ways, that, that, that's a challenging thing when you feel like, oh, I don't have a pipeline to God. And we don't use this to spiritually bully each other. Well, God told me, so we've got to do this. This is about entering into dialogue with two seekers really trying to hear God together. Constantly pursuing a Christ-centered relationship is the second piece. The third one, this is really simple. I'm not going to say a great deal about it. Use calendars or daytimers and compare your schedules often. Hey, when we talk about people getting on the same page, we live in such a busy world. I don't know of anything more practical and simple that you can do than to both make sure that you have some kind of calendar. I keep mine in my phone. Wherever you need to do it, but compare those things often because our our schedules just get so crazy with work commitments and church commitments and meetings and kids' uh, games and practices and dance recitals and gymnastics and just all this stuff that goes on, time at the gym, all these things that pull us in different directions. Getting on the same page with our schedules. Paul said in Ephesians 5, Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise Making the most of the time, because the days are evil. That idea of making the most of time, it's the point. You know, The big three things, the, the biggest three that tend to lead to divorce, everybody knows this or has heard this instinctively, you'd probably know it. It's, it's money, sex, and parenting are the big three. Amen. Yes, they are. We, we'll, we'll talk about sex next week. We're not going to tackle that one today. And we're, we're going to say a word about money today. But, but you know, the parenting thing. Man, this, it's such a huge drain. And clashes about parenting but spending too much time parenting. These become strains that can just absolutely exhaust and, and break a marriage. And so planning your schedule in such a way that, yes, you've got time together as a family. You've got time with the kids. But planning plenty of time where you're going to be with the person that you love and not with your kids. Man, we, we're starving for this in most marriages that have got kids school age and younger. And just scheduling that's a big deal. Part of, of what's practical about the scheduling thing is figuring out the things that you don't do together now that you could do together. If you don't get a lot of time together, a lot of life-giving time, look at your schedule, ruthlessly look at your schedule, and figure out what are we doing that's taking us in different directions that we could do differently so that we're together more for some of you, there may not be much that qualifies in that, but for others, there may be a lot. I mean, here's where it gets to be a problem for many is when when we make time commitments like to um, sports or hobbies or clubs or organizations that only one or the other can go to and that the other one has no connection to. If you just make a conscious decision, hey, most of the hobbies and, and things that I'm going to do for fun, I want to choose things that I can do with my mate That'll make it a lot smoother. I mean, that'll give you a lot more time together. And I mean, for instance, if one or the other of you is crazy about golf and plays several rounds of golf per week, but your mate doesn't do that. I hope you're retired because it's hard to work full time and play a lot of golf and your mate not do that. And you have any time together that counts for much. I mean, just choose things that you can do together. If you like working out. Make sure you work out in the same gym. And if, if you can make your schedules line up to work out at the same time, you know, just figure out ways to make your, your schedules work. And then the fourth and the final thing that I'll mention today is this. Getting on the same page. One of the biggest areas is around our finances. Make a financial plan together and update it regularly. And there is nobody in the room. There's, there's no couple in the room where both halves are going, woohoo, yeah, let's go home and make a budget. That's what I want to do this afternoon. Some of you are financial minded enough that one or the other may be saying, yeah, that would make us, put us at a better place. But as a couple, no no couples get excited about this. And yet, there's so much tension in marriages over this. Not having a financial plan or, or more than that, all the pressure that's created when you don't have a financial plan, and without meaning to, you spend a little more than you make, or surprises come along that you didn't plan for, and you get in a bind, or worse still, you're both having to work, and one of you feels a desperate need to be with the kids as issues are arising, and you see things happening in the lives of your kids, and it's so frustrating that you're both having to work, and yet you've adopted a lifestyle that forces both of you to work. So one of the things that I talk to couples about, basically in all premarital counseling, is having a plan for your life and for your finances that doesn't dictate that both of you work. There's nothing wrong with with both of you working if that's what you choose to do and that's what you want to do. But if you're having to do that out of financial necessity, that's a problem. You know why? Because it almost never leaves two people satisfied. By the numbers. You know I'm a numbers nerd. By the numbers. One out of every two men that works out of necessity says that he finds his work fulfilling and enjoys it. Among women who, who are married and work out of necessity, one out of seven says that she enjoys her work and finds it satisfying and fulfilling. Let that sink in. If you adopt a lifestyle that forces both of you to work, if you're the average couple, there's only about a 14% chance that the woman is going to enjoy her work. The numbers are drastically different when she doesn't have to. Women who work who don't have to work, they work because they choose to. Numbers are far, far higher. There's a lot of unhappy people out there because they're living a lifestyle that was supposed to make them happy. But guess what? They're doing a job that they hate to live the life that they thought that they wanted. You know what the net result of that is? A lot of frustration. A lot of anger, a lot of resentment that builds up over time. How do you get around that? You've got to have a plan. You've got to have a plan and you've got to make some adjustments. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4 says this. By wisdom a house is built, by understanding it is established. By knowledge rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant wealth. Three key words there. Wisdom, understanding, knowledge. It's going to take some thought, effort, and planning to see these things accomplished. It's interesting to me that the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, when he speaks to the issue of marriage, and boy, he just suddenly jumps on it, just... Uh, with with really direct language and he points out two of the things that will blow up a marriage and he says marriage is to be honored by all and husbands and wives must be faithful to each other he goes on to say that the marriage bed is not to be defiled in other words don't sleep around on each other that'll kill a marriage and the second thing he has to say about marriage is keep your lives free from the love of money and be satisfied with what you have Isn't that cool that 2,000 years ago, an ancient writer was clear enough. He did not need a modern-day study to tell him two of the three leading causes of divorce are money and infidelity. The writer of Hebrews got it 2,000 years ago. If you'll be content with what you have and stop spending all your money chasing after more stuff, that'll be just as important as not sleeping around because both of those will kill a marriage. One of them is just faster than the other. But they both are equally deadly. Having a mindset of always wanting a little more and a little more and using credit and extending yourself. And we, we could make this happen. And if we both work and if we just add some hours here. No. If you determine we'd rather live with less and have some margin and some freedom in our lives, you'll be a lot happier. Doesn't mean you don't both work. But if you both work, Live a lifestyle that can be supported by one income. And if you can't do that right now, move in that direction. Make some intentional choices to move you in that direction. Four specific things that I'll say about developing a plan and I'll be done. First of all, agree on your giving. When you put a budget together, make that the first thing you do. Agree on your giving. So many places in Scripture affirm this, but Proverbs 3 is one of my favorite there, Solomon says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. And then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will, be, will overflow with good wine. The scriptures talk about this as the first fruits, the first portion of all that you receive. It all belongs to God. But we declare that it all belongs to God by giving him the first portion that we return that to him. Agree together on your giving. Every year, you should look at what you've given in the past year. And talk and pray together about what are we going to give in the coming year. Now, I'm just going to... This may not sound terribly spiritual. I'm just going to say it straight up. This isn't nearly so much about praying over it as it is making a decision together. You know, God shouldn't have to tell us how much to give. If you're a maturing believer that's already a tither and learning to be a grace giver, you know, it shouldn't be... It's almost like, you know, should you have to go to the people that you love and say, Okay, tell me what to give you this year. Jackie's laughing because I always say, give me a Christmas list. But I'm, you know, seriously, beyond that, who wants somebody to come to him and say, tell me what I have to give you this year for Christmas? Give me a picture of it so I'll know what I have to get you. Who wants that? I mean, who wants that kind of relationship? Okay, I have to get you this so I'll get it and I'll, I'll wrap it up and I'll give it to you on Christmas. And it'll just be a wonderful moment, right? No. When it comes to our giving to God, he's given us what the training wheels are. A tithe is the beginning point, but he's teaching us to be generous grace givers. So in this, it's not so much about, oh, God, would you just write a percentage in the sky?" What is that, 13%? Is that the number? For th-? No, that's, don't expect God to give you a percentage for this year. Talk with your mate about that. And agree together on what you would like to give to honor the Lord. And just make it your goal to be more generous every year. At the heart of God, when you come to know who God is, God is a giver. God is the loving supplier of every one of us, and He wants us to reflect His character in learning to give and supply the needs of others. So agree together on your giving. You're doing your taxes right now anyway. If you're not, you better get busy. It's that time of year. And one of the things that you do is you're going to get, you're going to get those statements from the church and other organizations that you've given to that say, Hey, here's what you gave in 2014. Let that be a reminder every year to look and say, All right, in light of what we... Earned. is this what we felt like we should do? And what do we want to do in the coming year? Agree together on your giving. Both think about that. Come together and share with each other and have a giving plan for each year. Secondly, save for the future and for the unexpected. Proverbs 21.20 says, Be sensible and store up precious treasures. Don't waste them like a fool. Have a savings plan. Because the big stress comes... When the surprises come up, when, when you spend everything that you make, even if you budget, if you budget to spend everything that you make, there are going to be hiccups, aren't there? And there's going to be a hurricane or the roof's going to, you know, give up the ghost sooner than you thought or there's going to be an accident or somebody's going to get sick. And hey, somebody's going to lose their job along the way. I mean, you think about it. We're in 90% of households today of uh, folks getting married, both husband and wife are working. You think about in the course of, of two careers over 40 or 50 years, there's going to be some layoffs. There's going to be some jobs ended unexpectedly. If you're not prepared for that moment, it will cause tremendous stress on your relationship. So be saving in advance. Be saving toward retirement. Be saving toward a rainy day. I fully believe that a great, simple, Starting point for budgeting is the first 10% of what I make is it belongs to the Lord right from the start. The second 10% goes into to savings and retirement, and then the other 80% is, is what now we get to have fun in figuring out what of that do we want to give away, what more of that do we want to invest, what what do we want to do you know in living on and enjoying the remaining portion. So plan your saving uh, and and save toward the unexpected and toward the future. And I, I can't tell you what you ought to be saving other than to say you know the guys that are really good at helping people plan this will say have at least two to three months worth of funds put back so that if somebody is thrown out of work or becomes sick or whatever that, that you're taking care of in a crisis and hey if you think that social security is going to take care of you in retirement enjoy living in a rich house I mean it's, it's it is a pipe dream plan toward your retirement save toward that a third piece and by the way, men, your wife may not invite a lot of conversations about this, but understand the way that a woman is wired, she needs security, and a huge piece in that is financial security. For her to see that you have taken initiative, that there is a plan, and that you are putting the funds in place, that you are investing well, that you're saving well, creates a sense of security for her that helps her to have one less plate to spend, one less radar to be going. Ladies, is that true? Yes, indeed. Uh, third, work a plan to get out of debt. I know people teach whole lessons on this. Just, just know, debt creates pressure. Debt tends to, you know, we feel like we're forced into certain decisions about work and, and all that are driven by debt. Don't let debt do that to you. So just work a plan to get out of debt. There really are only two or three things that are worthy of ever in, uh, going into debt over. Pretty much all financial advisors are agreed on this. Sometimes it's it's a good investment to go into debt, if necessary, to get an education. That's a, that's a debt that can pay off in the long run. Uh, going into debt to purchase a home as opposed to renting for the rest of your life can be a wise investment. So everybody agrees that can be a good thing. And sometimes going into debt to launch a business can be a, a worthwhile thing. Basically, anything that goes outside of those three is a bad idea. And just when you're trying to figure out whether to do it or not don't. Figure out some way around it if if it's at all possible. The debts that you've incurred, especially the high interest ones, credit cards or whatever, make the adjustments that you have to make. If it means in the short run we're going to work a bunch or we're going to not do some things to eliminate those, takes a lot of the stress off. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The poor are ruled by the rich, and those who borrow are the slaves of moneylenders. And and then the final thing is this just build margin into your budget and to your schedule. Again, Proverbs twenty one says, Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. In other words, that's spending all that you make and you know living for the next paycheck. And the scripture says that's a stupid way to live. So build margin in your budget and in your schedule. That means at a real practical level, make sure that when you make this plan, that there's a chunk of, of money and time that's not accounted for because surprises come along. This isn't easy, is it? But it's fun. It's worth it. And there's no place that's more important for us to live on our faith than in these love relationships. I hope you're finding this stuff helpful. I hope that it's, uh, that it's giving you food for thought. And I want to pray for you before we're done here today. Would you bow with me? Father, Thank you for loving us. Thank you for showing us what love is. Thank you for pursuing us. We thank you for the the seasons in our lives when you bring people alongside us that stir our hearts, who love us and, and whom we can love. And I thank you for the way that you are sanctifying us and changing us through relationships. I pray that you would teach us to love well, that you would use the people that we love to... To bring joy into our lives, but also to knock off the rough edges. We pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding in how to love those that you've put alongside us. How to love them well. We trust you for that and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.